Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of Outlaw Radio. Nestled in the high-rise towers of Outlaw Radio. <laughs> if you buy any of this crap, Howard's having a seizure over there. Just nonsense. Oh, yeah. Actually, of course, we're in Encino where the industry and nature work hand-in-hand to create a toxic life for all of us. Following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen. True Crime Uncensored and Outlaw Radio. I am the legendary Burl Baron. Yes, you are. Every man's dream is my reality. That it is. Because every man dreams of at least once in his life doing a show on Outlaw Radio. Steve Long calling all the way in from Texas, land of crime and disgust. Steve, how you doing? Terrific. Before anyone puts a friend or family member in assisted living, they should probably listen to this program. Yeah, at the very least, read read the read book, book Death, yeah. Death Without Dignity. That scared that scared the hell out of me. By the way, well, it should. You know, if, if you ever uh, taken a look at assisted living places, a great many of them, uh, the anything that's an assistance to you, they charge extra for it. Like taking you downstairs to get your meals, another twenty five bucks. Uh, having a shower is another twenty five bucks. Thousand dollars a month to give you your meds. Well, let me say what really scared me is the state of New York licensed my brother. <laughs> to well, that's be able to, right there. Yeah, that's what when I when I when I found out he was licensed to open up a nursing home throughout New York State, I said, Well, check please. <laughs> uh well Steve, So so Steve, anybody can open these places pretty much, right? Well, it depends on the state. I, you know, in, in Texas of course you have to be licensed and uh uh one of the uh the thing I the the, the case that I wrote about in Death Without Dignity twenty five years ago, by the way. Uh, was uh, about a licensed nursing home who had uh, failed their residents in every respect. It it was that's estimated. An, that's another statement. Well, what, well, yeah. what, what, what the audience should know really quickly is you did write that book 25 years ago, and for some reason, and you'll tell us why it's re-released. It's re-released because uh, the book uh, went out of print, and uh, it was it was it, to my honor it was. Uh, Originally published by Texas Monthly Press, which is a pretty prestigious publisher. Right. And uh, Texas Monthly Press was eventually sold by the magazine. And then the, the buyers, uh, you know, they, they just canned it. And uh, so the book has been laying fallow all these years. And it was a pretty big book at the time. And it certainly served as a public service for a whole lot of people. And so I determined that I was going to bring it back out, and so uh, we brought it back out uh, this year on print-on-demand. And believe it or not, it's still selling after 25 years. You know, it's story, kind of a the story, kind of a classic in its genre. The story is incredible. Material. I don't think it needs any new material except it does have a brand new introduction, which is quite chilling in the fact that after this book came out, people thought that because of the impact of this fabulous book and the revelations in it, that it would mark a new day for assisted living, that people wouldn't be able to get away uh, with basically killing their patients through neglect and uh, everything else. But from what I understand, it hasn't gotten better. Am I correct? I, you know, in, in so many ways, it hasn't changed. Recently, we had two members of our immediate family in a nursing home. And walking into that nursing home after all of these years, knowing what I know, I, I saw the same old things, the same exact old things. And in, in, in one case, uh, we had uh, my wife's father in a nursing home in Arizona, 
and uh, I found out they didn't even have a hypodermic needle to give a shot in the entire facility. This is the sort of thing that goes on on a daily basis in nursing homes across America. Also, what a lot of people don't realize is, as I mentioned, that a lot of these assisted living places, anything that's assistance costs more money. If, if you're going to have a shower and they're going to help you take the shower, that's another 25 bucks. If they're going to take you downstairs to your meal, that's another 25 bucks. $1,000 a month to give you your meds. It all adds up. Well, let's, let's, let's distinguish between assisted living and nursing homes. Yeah. Assisted living is kind of a step above a nursing home. It's, it's, uh, it's where you go and, and uh, you're not quite disabled. Uh, you're, you're able to do some things, but you need a little help. In a nursing home, you're pretty well, you know, you're old and you've outlived everybody you know and, and uh, you need just an awful lot of help. And, and in the case of Autumn Hills, the home we talked about, these were people who were just really at the end of their lives, and uh, uh, were, were they, they were more helpless than a baby. Well, more than helpless, that place, it says in your book, they had doubled the death rate of three comparable nursing homes during a 90-day period. High number of patients were developing large uh, you know, bed sores on their body, getting infections. Uh, patients, all the way to the bone, Burl, all the way to the bone. They've been allowed to lie on their own bodily waste, their own urine and feces. Uh, people were dying of infections caused by the, their care. <laughs> Steve, let me ask you a question. It's Howard. Sure. Uh, um, you know, we all come to that time in our lives. Damn it. We, we, I know. And let me ask you, when you get to that time, where do you want to go? Where do you, where do you, knowing what you know, how do you want to be, how do you, how would you want to be handled? The Autumn Hills executives were on trial for murder for six months and about a, a core group of about 10 members of the press saw the entire trial and we went out nightly and drank together with the judge and, and so on and so forth each and every one of us concluded before the trial ended that we would commit suicide if we ever reached the point that these people reached i don't think i don't think that opinion has changed today because of the horrors that we uh, that we saw and that I wrote about. It's a pretty powerful statement. Well, you know, if if it's going from back from nursing home to the assisted living situation, you could, if you were a fairly functional senior, move into a nice senior housing unit, hire a gourmet chef to make you meals every day of the week, and pay someone to come into your home to make sure they get you to the bathroom, etc. And it would cost you thousands of dollars less. Well, it, 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 once again. I, I can't speak with authority on assisted living. It's something I know nothing about. Uh, I, I can't speak with, with great authority on, on, on nursing homes. Well, and, let's speak uh, about that, then. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that is something that... It, it's, a, it's a blight on society. It's a blight on the medical profession. And with the, uh, with the advent of Obamacare coming, it, it's something that, that I want to talk about a bit because... Uh, Autumn Hills and the, uh, the things I wrote about in Definite Without Dignity make the very best case against the profit motive in medical care that I can think of. It, it, it really, really has no business in, in health care. And uh, that's something that's uh, because, you know, profit goes before, in these corporations, profit goes before people's lives. Caring for the stockholders is more important than caring for grandma. 
So that, that by the way, that's not the first time I've heard this. And not that uh, you're, you're not original, because uh, if people go read your book, they'll see that you're original. But here is, here is, therein lies the problem, right? I mean, there it is, right there. It's all about profit. It's not about grandma, or it's not about you and I when we get to that point. Absolutely, and and uh, you know, it's just uh, it's just dreadful. And and you know, I, let me let me make a, make another point. Not all nursing homes are bad. Not all nursing homes are like this. Correct. Uh, there are a lot of awfully good, caring people who work in this industry. It's just that some of them are. No, I mean, the truth is, I, I kid my brother, but when he was in that business, he ran some pretty legitimate operations, uh, and, and 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 was, you know, pedal to the metal on it, making sure that everything was not the way Autumn Hills was. Uh, and then he got out of the business, and one of the reasons he got out of the business is because it was going to be a situation where he couldn't he couldn't continue doing it the way he was doing it and being able to provide the care that he would want to be, you know, have his name associated with. So it's driving good people out. The system itself is driving good people out. Absolutely, and it always has. Uh, the uh, the chief nursing home inspector who brought this case to, uh, to light uh, largely uh, was uh, someone who actually came out of the industry and went to work for the state. Uh, and was a, was a great whistleblower. Now, this fellow Marks that you talk about in your book, give me a little background on this guy. David Marks was a young lawyer who uh, was fresh out of law school who came to work for the Galveston County District Attorney's Office and stumbled across a file uh, that nobody had paid much attention to because it was so complicated. Uh, on what he thought was a Medicare fraud case uh, that someone had uh, made a complaint about uh, against the Autumn Hills Nursing Home uh, in nearby Texas City. As he got to reading the file, uh, he started independently uh, digging uh, and, and interviewing witnesses and eventually became really obsessed uh, with this. Mark's uh, Marx is, is a true hero in, in jurisprudence. Uh, he uh, today, David is uh, twenty-five years later, a very successful plaintiff's lawyer whose uh, practice is primarily suing nursing homes. Believe it or not, he stayed in this industry the entire time, or stayed on on this area of litigation his entire career. Well, he probably knows his way around the block. He knows his way around the block. I, I'd say. He's probably the best. Uh, this specialty—it's a very small specialty—and he's he's undoubtedly the top uh, the top top plaintiff's lawyer for nursing homes in the country. Now, I'm reading in your book about the condition of the people in this nursing home. When mm-hmm. he looks into it, it is so shocking that I cannot imagine how the people who work there were able to work there. I've never known anyone who read Chapter 5 and got past it without crying, even even hardened people, because uh, in Chapter 5, is, 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 I, I, I tell the stories uh, case by case of, of, of what these poor people suffered through, and it's just gut-wrenching. Can you give us an example of something out of Chapter 5? Um, certainly. Uh, people laying for days uh, in 
dried urine and feces uh, with maggots uh, in their bed sores that went all the way to the bone. Uh, screams of, of cancer patients in incredible pain uh, in a room with a, a roommate who was maybe not quite in that condition, uh, but who could not get any rest because of these screams. A young woman who was uh, uh, head injured, who uh, constantly lay in bed, uh, not knowing what she was doing, but masturbating, uh, with the door opened uh, to the hallway. Uh, the horrors just—it was—it was—it was really like uh, something from Dante. You know, it sounds it was, like a it was, horror movie. It, 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 it was something from from one of the circles of hell uh, that Dante wrote about. And people were paying money for this. People were paying money for it. Medicaid was paying. All of these were Medicaid patients, not Medicare patients. Uh, a lot of these people were the poor that the, the government was paying for their medical care. Some were paying their life savings to be treated like this, though. That's even worse. Yeah. But what about the people... I write, I write about a, 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 a wonderful woman named Eleanor Breed, uh, and she was one of the two... Uh, two people they exhumed for their bodies in, in the course of this. And Elnora had uh, she paid for her own care. She had saved all of her life. She was a uh, just a absolutely wonderful church-going black lady uh, who, uh, who, who grew up on her own family's uh, land where she was born. And uh, she, uh, she went into Autumn Hills, and they killed her. When you say they Simple as that, her. they killed her. How they do? How they do it? Oh, well, uh, anything below six hundred calories is a day. A day is a starvation diet, and uh, she never got even close to that. You know, a lot of times they would be fed soup that had maybe three or four beans in it. Uh, why were they doing this? They were doing that to make money because they were sharding sharding people on food and medication. And it was proven in court testimony, categorically proven in court testimony that that, that that was the case. Now, did they actually put the corporation itself on trial for murder? The corporation itself, for the first time in history, and five of its executives were placed on trial for murder. What was the outcome? Did they get It was a hung jury. Uh, and uh, the... The, the, the defense uh, had five of the finest lawyers in Texas, and Texas is famous for developing good lawyers. Uh, had five of the finest lawyers uh, in the state, led by the team of Tom Sartwell and uh, Roy Minton. Uh, just, just, just absolutely great lawyers. Uh, and these lawyers overwhelmed the state. Uh, but trial remains to this day the most expensive uh, criminal trial in Texas history. Uh, the, uh, I believe the uh, uh, defense spent $3 million, the state spent $1 million, uh, and uh, they wound up with a hung jury. Sure. I, it was some of the most... Uh, I've got 2,000 hours in the courtroom, and uh, I can tell you it was the finest lawyering I've ever seen. So how, how, how did... How, how... How did they end up with a hung jury? How'd that work? What happened? Well, uh, that, 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 we, let me, let me jury ask deliberations began uh, 
the jury was out for five days, six days, um, and ultimately, uh, and and I I was allowed, I, and, and I think this is the first time in in uh, in really U.S. history that I was allowed, the only reporter ever allowed to uh, be a part of. Uh, in-camera conferences with all the lawyers. The judge had yeah, given me a special dispensation. How did you get away with that? <laughs> I was friends with the judge, and the judge trusted me because I wasn't filing daily. I was writing a book. And so I was the party to all of the... And this is this is the ultimate insider book, right, as far as oh, uh, yes. the trials are concerned. I was a part of all the in-camera conferences. When uh, the jury was out in deliberations, I was in chambers with the lawyers. So I sweated the jury with them, uh, and ultimately the jury came back with a note saying they were unable to reach a verdict. And uh, as it turned out, three of the three of the juries were voting to acquit, and quit, and the rest were going to uh, uh, to uh, find them guilty. Jeez. Now, the more I read about what these people, I mean, there were people dying of starvation, people being beaten, people not being given their medications. One woman was basically dying of thirst, begging for water. No one gives her any. She goes out in the hall and drinks a bottle of cleaning fluid because she's so thirsty and dies three days later. That's exactly right, yeah. See, damn it, I I don't understand how we can hear these stories. And then people, and, 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 And you write eloquently about what happened. And with your, you know, your thousands of hours in the courtroom, uh, and a jury ends up being a hung jury after hearing all of this. I mean, how as is, I said, how as I said now, they how, had the finest uh, defense is, lawyers in the state of Texas, I'm, and perhaps among the finest in the nation. Okay, that's all well and good, and I happen to know through, through this show and other ways some of the finest defense attorneys in the country, and they can't beat a picture of a, an elderly person with bugs and sores and feces and bears. Oh my, <laughs> you know. But, but let me let me tell you, they did it, and uh, when you talk about the. Uh, the, the, the maggots that were in the bed sores, they, they brought on uh, skillful professional witnesses, uh, uh, experts, uh, doctors, who said that was good, who said that the maggots were debreeding the wound. They were cleaning the, uh, oh, the proud flesh out of the wound. Well, uh, there's something else uh, to, be, to play devil's advocate. Um, you have to connect those that were on trial with the occurrences in the facilities themselves, you have to you have to connect their actions with the outcomes. Uh, that, that that's true, and particularly uh, regarding uh, the, the you know the vice presidents and stuff like that. They weren't on site, uh, but the administrator was certainly on site. The chief nurse was on site, uh, and the head of nursing for the entire facility was certainly on site frequently. So, uh, now this Steve, I gotta know, because I've, I've, I've hinted to this a few times. Did you talk to any of the people, or did you talk to people who worked there, who saw this? How could they work there and deal with this? Yeah, you asked that question. You're yeah. right. How I think, I think there were about 25 witnesses of, of people, uh, all told who, uh, who worked at Autumn Hills, uh, both for the defense and for the, uh, for the prosecution, and so you know, some 
you know, told horror stories. That's where a lot of the testimony came from. A lot of my book is written from the actual uh, nurses' notes. I was I, I was given the nurses' notes by uh, Tom Sartwell, the, the very fine defense lawyer, uh, who opened up completely to me. Uh, and uh, then then the, the defense also brought on uh, employees who said everything was peachy keen. They never saw anything wrong. Steve, so, Steve, Steve, Steve. Uh, Bob Mark has a question real quick. Um, sure. Did Mr. Sotwell in any way express um, any kind of remorse or regret he for defending that. us? He's a def- defense attorney. You've learned, but he's uh, still a human being. Yes, he is. But you've you've interviewed defense attorneys, and you know how that works. We're dealing with uh, well. Uh, no, no, let me Tom Sartwell today is one of my very closest friends, and believe it or not, is my lawyer. Uh, and to this day, he has no no regrets uh, about what he did in this case. No, he can't. Uh, he can't be as good as you say he is and have regret. That's right. That's exactly right. He's he's a he's a litigator to the core. He's a, pro- and, he's a professional. Uh, Thank God we have him. But you know, yeah. I wouldn't want to be on the other side. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I, I, I'm on the other side of the issue that he defended. I certainly am. Well, so am I. Of course. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but he can still and, be, and, in America. And, and, and that doesn't alter the fact that I, I, I love him death. He's, no, he's just... It, a, a dear person. In America, that's how it works. He's, he can yeah. be, be your best friend, but that happens to be the job he has. And and thank God, our Constitution allows for that job. You know, so so I respect his job. But the question that Burl was asking, I think, and if I if I may take the liberty, Burl, to, sure. to kind of rephrase it, is it wasn't as much as you know the the people that worked there were witnesses. He's asking, as human beings, how did these people? work there and see this day in and day out, what motivated them other than their paycheck to show up? Well, I, I think I think you really hit the nail on the head, and that's the paycheck. Uh, a nursing home, in many ways, is only as good as the uh, employment pool that it draws from. Uh, and in this case, the, the and generally, the, the the small geographical area that it draws from, draws these employees from. And, and this nursing home uh, was there in uh, Texas City, Lamarck area, which is basically a tank town. Uh, and the people who had good jobs worked at the refineries, and then there were the rest of them. And the rest of them worked for minimum wage, which is where you usually find uh, people in nursing homes uh, uh working, uh, you know, and, and sometimes you even find, frequently find, uh, criminals, ex-cons working in nursing homes because they can't get a job anywhere else. But the uh, the work is so miserable, the work is so degrading that they do it for survival and keep their mouths shut. Thank you. We'll be right back in 60 seconds. More with Stephen Long, author of Death Without Dignity on True Crime Uncensored. Stand by. For you, listener, who's still listening, yeah. hang in there. <laughs> or not. Something interesting might occur. Oh. We don't know whether you lose listeners are still ready. listening. I'm ready. Okay, and um, quiet on the set. And hit it, Lori. Hey, it's Jimmy the Printer here, a proud demon of decadence. 
When I'm out on the road smoking stogies with my favorite rock bands or visiting my family and friends in Chicago, or rocking in New Orleans at the Jazz Fest, or maybe even seeing the Allman Brothers at the Beacon Theater in New York City, I'm never far away from my friends at Outlaw Radio. And now you can go to the App Store at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio. Download the app on your phone and take Outlaw Radio on the road with you. You'll be just like Jimmy the Printer. Have a great day. Back to true crime. Yes. Uncensored. Damn right. With Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. Anyone else? A bag of chips. <laughs> Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. I certainly hope so. And who produces this debacle? And sometimes Marie Mackey, Esquire. I seen her in ages. Produced by Magic Matthew Allen. And who's that leggy blonde? Who in turn is produced by Laurie Downey Jr. Who wouldn't want to be? Yeah. Ah, and now back to the aforementioned True Crime Uncensored. Mark C.G. Boyer has a question for Stephen Long, author of the uh, 25th anniversary edition of Death Without <laughs> Dignity. You, you started to mention earlier in the show, and I wanted to follow up, um, uh, if Obamacare actually gets implemented, um, is this going to make it better, worse, or no change? Boy, you know, that's a question that I just can't answer. I, I don't know. We know we know so little about Obamacare. We got a 900-page bill that really, to my knowledge, nobody's read except uh, the geeks uh, in some dark office in, in, in Washington. Uh, so I, I really don't know. Uh, I'm personally excited about Obamacare, I think, but I don't know. We'll find out. That's for sure. Now, some patients, according to your book, did receive some care, but there simply weren't enough aids to go around. Feeding patients who couldn't feed themselves was a particular problem because it took so long for the aides to wash the linens. After the morning washing was done, the aides received instructions from the nurses. The nurses would tell us who we were supposed to feed. We'd go back and feed the ones that needed to be fed. What about the other ones? They didn't, they didn't get fed. They didn't feed them. That's right. Oh, swell. So you got patients in a nursing home not receiving nursing care and dying of starvation. Over a short period of time, according to the prosecutors, uh, over 200 people died uh, through neglect and starvation. And they were tried for the deaths of two people only, uh, Eleanor Breed and Edna, Edna May Witt. But the, the pool of... Uh, morbidity that they uh, that they worked from was uh, about 200 patients. Look, if I'm Tom Sartwell, I'm going to say these people are 80, 90 years old. They're going to die anyway. They're, 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 they died of natural causes. It proved that uh, that his client had something to do, actually physically had to do with their death. You know, I mean, I can only imagine the case he mounted. It was undoubtedly brilliant. In so many in so many cases, uh, these people had outlived their own children. Uh, there was just nobody there for them. Well, so I'm going to sit there as the defense attorney and go, look, kids, they're 92. It happens. Similar to the NFL claiming prove that the head injuries received during their football careers contributed well, to their yeah, current yeah, conditions. Sure. If I'm, well, they settled that case. But, but if I'm on the other side of that thing, I'll beat the crap out of them. <laughs> Seriously. Meanwhile, you have many nursing homes across the country, all owned by, say, 
a couple different corporations, big ones. You got some private ones where they really take good care of people. Some of these big ones, I fear, with that profit motive being overriding, are a nightmare. Um, and by the way, let's not get negative about profit. No, profit's fine, but but not at the expense of lives. Thank um, you. To, uh, to really? Yeah. On the other, <laughs> where does it say that? No, no, seriously, where does it see? This is a flaw we've got. <laughs> And, well, and let's talk about the flaw. On the other side of the coin, Howard, the ones that I've been involved with through my family and friends of family, where they have uh, the wherewithal, the standard of care is excellent, but the cost is absorbent. And so there isn't the gouging that, that Burrow has mentioned, but the individual is still paying thirty-five to 4500 a month for the assisted living care that we would all want. Uh, clean, uh, comfortable surroundings, nice rooms, I just want uh, cable. amenities. I just want cable. I'll be good with cable. <laughs> well, cable uh, the ones that, the ones that, that are in, in this area that I'm familiar with, they have movie theaters where they run yeah, movies you come three from, times yeah, a week. You come from the rich Jews. Yes. Well, this isn't the, the Jewish home for, per se. No, but it's I know. They have a good reputation. So there are large corporations that are making this work, that they are charging sufficiently yeah. to support the yeah. profit motive okay. and provide the care. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's one, fine. One, in ten, one in ten, right? Well, what do you Steve, say, Steve, yeah, uh, Steve, as far as nursing homes well, go? Well, yeah, let me, let me, there, there, there are some smaller facilities, too, that, uh, that do a very good job. My mother died in, in, a, in a facility. She lived to 102, bless her heart. Hey, great. Right. And uh, she, uh, uh, even the uh, the last uh, week of her life, she was in the backyard of the home sunning her legs. Uh, so well, you know, she might want to pick my up mom, some guy who's my mom was cool. <laughs> but, uh, but this was a very small uh, nursing home in a small town with an abundance of staff, and staffing is everything in these facilities. But did, did you, uh, is this in Texas? And, and they just did a marvelous no, job. And, and why? Because they had a wonderful labor pool to draw from. You, you so Did you select this for your mom? My sisters did. I, I, I knew nothing about it. And then she was there. And we, I, she had been in another one, which was okay, but not so great. This was great. This place was great. This and guess a, what? What? They did it for her social security check and nothing well, that's more. That's amazing, by the way. Bless their hearts. And, and, and I, I hope you're blessed with your mom's jeans. <laughs> you too. Yeah, or at least her legs. I want more books from you, pal. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to go out and sun my legs as soon as it's... Uh, <laughs> Show's over. Right? Yeah, you, oh, you got about 30-some-odd years before you start sunning your legs. you got some books, you got some books to write. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you know, it, it, as far as his career goes, and I don't think he'll be too embarrassed of all, all the rave reviews uh, that he has received, not only for this book 25 years ago, which is back, but the ones he's written since then, and his magazine, and his ongoing journalism career, and now he's writing fiction. We had him on talking about Ruby's passing uh, what, last year when that came out. And now you've uh, you wrote, what, what, a prequel to that? I've written a prequel, so I'll say that. Uh, and it's set in 1883, uh, and it's... Uh, I, I just love writing fiction. I absolutely love it. I, I'm, I'm obsessed by it. Uh, uh, this is... The, these last two books have been uh, uh, life-changing for me. That's all I want to do is write fiction now. Uh, because it's so much fun, and well, as, they're, as they're Burl, and, well, as all you guys know, journalism is hard. Yes. I mean, it's, 
It's really hard. It's really demanding, and there's no room for mistakes. Well, whereas uh, fiction is just fun to do. You're, you're an old time journalist. I mean, you're, you come from the old school of when when a story was a story was a story when when the code ruled uh, and when the truth be told. I, I come from the school where the editor had the whiskey bottle in the desk. That's how far back I go. <laughs> and you were the editor. So, <laughs> I made some cases, yeah. yeah there, there you go. I mean, you, you have been involved in a, in a lot of different kinds of cases throughout your career writing as a journalist. And, uh, yeah, there's, uh, mostly all, all big cases. I'm, I'm, I've been blessed in that respect. I never had to do things like cover city council meetings and stuff like that. I've, I've always... Look, I know that you covered Andrea Yates. And, yes. and a story like that um, fascinates me because there's been, since the Yates situation where she killed her kids, um, a variety of different cases that have taken on rock star proportion. Uh, Casey Anthony. Uh, right. Um, who's the last one? Jody Arias. Jody Arias. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm somewhat familiar with these things, and, and they have taken on a seriously rock star proportion. What about the? What is it about these cases that fascinates America that lifts these people to you know massive stardom, and the case to, and the case itself to massive stardom? You know, I I, I don't know because, because truthfully, uh, true crime bores me. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I hate to say it, I've made a living doing this for a long time, but. Uh, some of these people, you know, obviously the, the crime itself, like with Andrea, you know, the crime itself was so horrendous that uh, that we were able in, in, to to get into the psycho psychological aspects of this case and and uh, the, the 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 actual medical aspects of this case because she she was off her medication. Uh, in the case of. Uh, uh, Clara Harris, which I wrote about. Uh, Clara Harris was the dentist who wrote, you know, ran over her husband five times in her Mercedes. Well, she couldn't get it right the first time. Yeah, you know, you know how women drivers are. Okay. That one had that had some magic to it, and that there were. Uh, uh, Did they have video? Uh, that? There was a girlfriend with allegations. The girlfriend was uh, in in love with a uh, in a lesbian relationship, and you know, there was all of all of these elements that made that that interesting. Uh, but but some of these I don't understand. Uh, for example, the the Arias case, it, it doesn't move me. Uh, well, we're going to have on. We did have on uh, Camille Kimball, who was covered that case. And then uh, coming up on, uh, I think it's uh, November second. We have the woman who wrote the book Picture Perfect. Uh, she started covering that case before it was big news, and she'll be yeah. on the show. Yeah. Well, thanks. I'm for not. I'm not taking any way, anything away from the authors who do this. Uh, and Lord knows I've done plenty of it myself. Uh, it's just that, you know, I don't even read true crime. <laughs> oh, read my books. Yeah, yeah, here's the deal. I, I'm, I'm ready to send you home, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've already thrown out the and, 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 and all of these true crime authors are my dear friends like Burl. Uh, uh, I'm going to throw the last three pages of my notes out. <laughs> hey, listen, you want to see a real I'm event. terrible. <laughs> you should have seen Steve and uh, uh, Susie Spencer, our sexpert Susie Spencer. Uh -huh. My daughter sexpert, and I, absolutely. sexpert Susie Spencer. Boy, have you read her book? Wow. I have not. Oh, you have got to read it. You'll get a really? Is this oh, the university? man, I will tell you, you will never look at Susie Spencer the same way again. Will I get off? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, I don't want to give away the ending of the book, but the fast, and I'll tell the audience to, to, to take a little diversion here to get her book. 
uh, Secret Sex Lives, is at the end of the book, you can feel the tension in her mind and her heart as she's writing the last chapter, getting up and pacing back and forth and sitting back down. What can she say? What will her mother say? What will what will Jesus say? <laughs> Jesus Absolutely. And, and, and those of us who know Susie know that she's a born-again Christian. Yeah, and, former missionary. Uh, and this had to yeah. cause tremendous conflict for her. Oh, yeah. The conflict in that final chapter is just... Palpable. It's so, such a powerful book. So, Steve, because he likes true crime so much, Burl yeah. decided to sell her book and not yours. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're going to sell Steve's book too. Which De- is what? De- Death without dignity. There's no dignity there. Twenty-five years old, and it's now re-released, and it's re-released for a reason. Yeah, it's re-released. That's, for all, that's right. And and Ruby's passing and Sauceda are out there waiting for you. And they're getting rave reviews. You're getting such good write-ups on your fiction. That must make you feel good, being as you love fiction so much. I'm blessed because I didn't know I could do it. Uh, it, it, It's just such a... Well, my whole career is just a stunning surprise for me. And and, uh, uh, the fact that I can write fiction is just doubly amazing. Well, you get to make it up for one thing. (laughs) Yeah, you do kind of make it up. It's, uh, that's you do awesome. have to make it up. It's kind of like being God and creating your own universes. Except you released uh, on on Ruby's passing, and I assume on the, on this new one, the prequel. You do have kind of a uh, a foundation in history, a foundation in reality that you're working off of, right? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, you know, I think that's that, that's just always such a fun element if you can do that. McMurtry does that, and he, of course, is my. Uh, my idol, as far as he and he and uh, Herman Walker are, are, are my idols, as far as writing fiction is concerned. I've read all of their stuff. My, my idol is Ryan Seacrest. Oh come oh, on, stop it! Because <laughs> <laughs> you always wanted to make a living being famous for being famous. <laughs> And, yes. and having no Me talent. Me too. Oh, no, he's, he's talented. talented. He's talented. <laughs> don't get that wrong for no, a second. He's, no, he's packed with, we just don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> that, kind of like people on Amazon who write reviews of my books. <laughs> well, those those people. <laughs> Where do they come so, from? So, so, Steve, so, so I guess... Oh, you know, seriously, my true crime questions, I'm just going to throw away. No, don't throw them away. But... but uh, you as a journal—I mean, you started as a radio guy, and you're, you're talking to two of the three of us started that way, and mm-hmm. and um, you, you actually covered the Kennedy assassination. I actually did. Yeah, I, it, it 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 was uh, uh, what a way to, to to get a career. I was an 18 year old college kid working weekends at a radio station in Galveston, Texas, and uh, Kennedy uh, was flying into to Houston for. Uh, a speech on uh, November 21st and I asked the boss if I could go up there and do an actuality from the airport an actuality of course uh, for those of you who aren't in radio is uh, you actually uh, go there <laughs> a, a live you know, report we called them beepers back then too but, but by the way there is nobody left in actual radio <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and so I did I saw Kennedy and the entire entourage uh, drive within uh, about 15 or 20 feet of me so I made a story out of it. And uh, then, obviously, the next day, uh, it was a Friday, uh, I went to school. I came back home. I was at my mother's house eating lunch when the bulletin came over the radio that he had been shot. And the rest of that weekend, I spent at the radio station uh, with all the five-bell bulletins coming off the AP wire and actually delivered the, uh, the one on uh, Oswald's assassination. That was an incredible for those of us who were there. Oh, I was watching it, that. It, it was, uh, I saw it, 
I did not see it live. I can't say that I saw Oswald shot live. I, I was there maybe 10 minutes after it happened, and I saw the, the videotape. Then. But it was, uh, what a time, guys. You know, uh, the people that are, are listening to us right now that weren't around then. And we were fortunate enough, and, and not fortunate, fortunate and not fortunate, to have been there. And, and, and you, Steve, were actually on the ground with both feet. And, and uh, in one of the most fascinating times in American history, because the country became, we all went through, those of us that are listening to the show, you all went through 9-11. Uh, that was not even close to the president being shot. Not even close to the 60s themselves. Uh, you know, we talk about the 60s, we think of flower power and, and, and all that fun stuff. The 60s were a horrible period. We lost not only Kennedy, it was Martin Luther King, Bobby, uh, and then the, the Vietnam War on top of everything else. It yeah. was horrible. Look, I had, you know, we were unfortunate enough to be old enough to see friends from high school coming back in body bags for no good reason. And, we did it. And, um, and and then seeing our guys come back from war to be spit on and shunned. You know, it's a fascinating time in American history. You're right. You're absolutely right. And, it, uh, you know, the flowers and the hair thing was one thing. Woodstock was something else. But when we start talking about losing Martin Luther King and, and, and Bobby Kennedy in the same year. Well, you remember when uh, uh, Ron Tyler was on the show, and this is up on YouTube if you uh, want to hear it, where he talks about the, the, uh, his daddy planning the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. But they get this, what they call the, the Senate prayer list from uh, J. Edgar Hoover's uh, lover to his dad and here's the prayer list people to pray for him John Kennedy Bobby Kennedy Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, he was involved in, uh, in all of those so, yeah. it was uh, uh, an interesting time which we could probably all wax poetically about um, <laughs> but uh, let's let's talk about watch this you want to see a left turn yeah well, I'll say one word okay and I'll change the whole interview ready okay. yeah alright ready here's the word horses <laughs> well. uh, yeah, Wilbur. Now explain to people why it's good that we're, we we now have government inspected horse meat again. Well, uh, let's start with the fact that I own Horseback Magazine. All right, and uh, it's uh, uh, what is Horseback Magazine? It's a beautiful, glossy, full color, very sophisticated magazine about the horse world, uh, not necessarily about horses. And uh, I, uh, you know, I just love the, I just love the damn things. I have since I was uh, first on one at the age of three or four, and it ran away with me. Uh, and uh, uh, now we see, and they, they've always gone to slaughter, you know, you talk about uh, uh, sending uh, a horse to the glue factory back in the old days, but we didn't realize what that meant. What it meant was uh, the horse was going to uh, uh, go to a, uh, a factory, uh, uh, factory, factory uh, uh, slaughterhouse uh, where it's knocked in the head, hoisted up by its back feet, still alive, its throat cut to bleed out, and then uh, its hooves sawed off uh, in many cases when the horse is still alive. Um, and there is a movement afoot in this country uh, by people who want to end this. There are no slaughterhouses for horses operating in the United States right now. All American horses that are going to slaughter, to the tune of about 100,000 a year now, uh, are going across to uh, Mexico and to uh, Canada. 
So, Steve, quick, that, quick, quick, that quick. is uh, possibly going to be coming to an end uh, because of uh, all, all American horses are given uh, about 25 drugs, which the EU now prohibits in, uh, in meat animals. So what's and happening so, is we're sending, as uh, you told us the first time you were on the show, sending poisoned horse meat to Europe. That's exactly what we're doing, yeah. We're sending uh, phenylbutazone, tainted, about probably 98% of all American horses have received phenylbutazone once in their lives. What does this drug phenylbutazone do? is forever. In what the does meat. this drug do? What does this drug do? It's, it's, uh, it's called horse aspirin, generally. Uh... It's a painkiller, and it's a very powerful painkiller. Okay. So, Steve, let me get this straight. You you write about uh, old people uh, dying in their own uh, feces and urine, <laughs> and horses uh, hanging alive with their uh, hooves being cut off. Um, what do you do for fun? <laughs> <laughs> He's <I> write fiction. <laughs> right, have you t- have you ever thought about taking your two the two things that you've said that what's come out about you in, in this interview is is you love fiction and you love horses. Have you thought about combining the two? Seriously, to find some horse. Oh, actually, actually, the the horses are are deeply uh, portrayed in in both of the fiction books. Absolutely. And make a nice mini series. Someone should approach you about that. Hint, hint. (laughs) Absolutely. That's that's you know I'm I'm a greedy sort, and uh, I wrote both books hoping that some. Slick Hollywood agent would be listening to Outlaw Radio and <laughs> and want to sign these books. I, I'm not an agent. No, he's a manager. There's, there's a difference. I'm a manager and a producer. Yeah. There we go. That'll work. Well, all right. I'll option both books for a dollar. Deal. It's great. That's, okay. that's a dollar board. Anybody else's dollar? I was going to say, you didn't have that yesterday. That's right. You know, so, so is that a talk for two dollars or fifty cents a book? Are you working for him or me? <laughs> I'm just saying. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Hey, listen, I'm going to be, where am I going to, I'm going to be in Texas. Uh, I'm going to be doing uh, this show live from Texas uh, in October, uh, October 26th. Where? Where, where will you be in Texas? Uh, from, uh, from Austin, via the phone, Corey Mitchell and I, uh, and uh, I think uh, Fred Rosen, uh, uh-huh. some other true crime writers are all going to be at the House of Horror, uh, oops, House Horror Fest, combination of horror films, heavy metal music, and true crime authors. Oh, boy. And and it's a three-day event in Austin, Texas, and it's going to be very ostentatious. So how are you doing? Are you going to call the show? I will be the guest calling in along with Corey Mitchell and some other true crime writers. And then we'll be here. So I'll be in in first year then. Yeah. And that comes up, uh, I think, October October 26th or something. Can I come to Austin with you? No. Then then who? Well, you you can if you want. No one's going to stop you. Then Mark would be sitting in first chair. Hey. It'll cost you. I'll, I'll stay. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Howard. Appreciate the book. Yeah. So you can come. You're you still even though with, even though you're writing fiction, you still qualify as a famous true crime. Yeah, he's going to come and show up and go. Yeah, I don't like true crime. Listen, listen, listen. There's there's one thing about any Texan, and that's any excuse to uh, go to Austin will do. <laughs> Well, uh, check uh, check on the uh, House Horror Fest, whatever it's called, that uh, Corey put together. Uh, Burl will be sending you information. I'm yeah. just trying to cut, cut to the chase. By all means. Yes. Yeah. It's, if you're into uh, death metal music and horror films, uh, this is the place to be. Steve, I know that uh, because, boy, did I do my homework. I know that you, you wrote about Ken Lay, the Enron guy. Yes, what I, 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 covered, I covered Enron from beginning to end and uh, wound up covering the trial for NBC. 
amazing or what? There's a question. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I, I can say this. Uh, Lay was absolutely the most disastrous witness I've ever seen seen on the witness stand. Uh, he was he was just horrible. He convicted himself. What what made him so bad? Uh, for example, he, he had one of the finest uh, defense lawyers in the state, and he was on the stand in his own defense, and he began, ever the executive, ever the CEO, they began correcting his lawyer and dictating the law, the questions to the lawyer oh, no. that the lawyer was to ask him. It was hubris. Oh, that, and simple. That, that must have been really good back at the office. <laughs> oh, boy, I'll say. Oh, oh man. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, that's the thing that psychopaths do. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was Ken Lay a psychopath? Uh, all I know is he didn't like me. Uh, <laughs> well, if he didn't like all. you, we don't like him. Why did I have to ask why? What, did, what 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 set? What did you write that set him off? The truth. Well, I, I was I was the only Houstonian uh, out of all the national news, news media who was reporting live uh, nationwide. I was I was giving daily live reports on CNBC. And the uh, uh, the desk asked me uh, on on one of these live feeds to give a, a, a description of how Lay was perceived in Houston. Well, I gave the truth. You know, I gave the truth of it. Well, Lay, you, you know, asshole on was, <laughs> he was an icon at one time in Houston, and now uh, you know he was he was uh, ridiculed. What compelled him to do what he did? What, I mean, when I said when I asked if he was a psychopath, it was a it, it was a real question. Well, when I use the word hubris, uh, I um, I really use that in in a very serious sense. Uh, uh, he, he 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 did think he he believed his own hype uh, to the point that that he had become such an iconic figure in, in Houston, Texas. And in the corporate world for, for building this great company, that he really believed it was all true when the entire thing was manufactured. Uh, and uh, he, he was his worst enemy. Bought his own BS. He bought his own BS, exactly. I didn't and, think I could do that. <laughs> well, you don't have to buy it. I can rent it. You can sell it. <laughs> I can sell it. I try to. I try to sell my own BS. Oh, someone brought Howard some more chips. <laughs> Thank you, Frank T. <laughs> it's like feeding the animals. Yeah, don't feed the animals at the zoo, Frank. Mm, don't feed the the producer. So what are you going to do now, Steve? You got you got your your uh, Death Without Dignity has been re-released. You can download it immediately for your Kindle or Nook, I assume. Because I got it on my Kindle. I got it on my phone even. Absolutely. Uh, what am I doing now? I'm writing two books. Uh, I'm writing uh, the uh, center, you know, the, the middle book of the tri trilogy. It's titled Claire Del Saloon. Uh, it's set in 1910 uh, during the Jazz Age. Uh, and uh, then I'm also writing a, a, a book that uh, either is either going to be only read by my family or is going to win the Pulitzer. <laughs> yeah. uh, my brother was killed uh, in World War II uh, five months before I was born. And I have all of his letters from the battleship Pennsylvania from the Pacific, Pacific uh, uh, Theater of War uh, 
which was, of course, in 1944, pretty pretty hot stuff. Was yeah. that uh, uh, was that the uh, New Guinea, Australia section? Uh, I think it was the uh, I think it was the uh, Marianas. Mar- I'm not sure that it, it, it was the Mariana South Pacific. Uh, I don't know how near that was. But anyway, I have his letters, and he's talking about all of these things. And so I'm writing a book, uh, stringing the letters together, uh, and it's going to be titled Letters from Billy. And uh, hopefully it's going to be my best piece of work uh, uh, if I can make it work the way I want it to. Yeah, one of my relatives did a book like that called One Young Man in Total War. Uh from others like that, but I think yours is going to be a little bit more significant. So, are you saying Stephen's been done? Is it's been done, you're... Steve. Don't bother. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I'm fascinated with the fact that that uh, look, we talked about your family here, kind of inadvertently. We, we have we have your brother. What was he? What 18, 19 years older than you? He was eighteen years old when he died. Right. Uh, my mother was forty two when I was born. My father was forty eight. Uh, so. I was uh, an accident. That sounds like yeah, my story. And mine. Well, if you had talked to Ken Lay, he would say that. Right. <laughs> Can't say much anymore. But, but um, wow, that's uh, so. That's going to be. Uh, you know what? You're right. Either your, your family or it'll win a Pulitzer Prize. I'm going to bet on on the prize. I really am. I, just knowing what you write, how you approach things, I'm looking forward to that. It, it's going to be. I mean, you're going to be organizing some thoughts of somebody that you never knew. Well, I'll tell you, Steve, in 1993, when I was back in New York, I met this uh, police sergeant for the NYPD. He said, I'm going back to the old country with my uncle, uh, kind of see the the family stuff, and I'm taking my video camera, and uh, maybe I can run the the home movies, like on the uh, home cable channel, you know, the public access and all that stuff. Well, his, his uncle that he was going with was Frank McCourt. And, what, <laughs> and, and it comes back Angela's Ashes, right? Yeah, it writes Angela's Ashes, which wins the Pulitzer. And I think Showtime bought the home movies. Yeah. <laughs> but so he didn't know it was, you know, my uncle's writing some book. I'm going back to the old country with him. Steve, nice meeting you. It was very nice to have you. Yeah, Steve was one of our very first guests when we first started the show back years ago. It's always great to have Mom. Good luck to you, Steve. Keep up the writing. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you guys, and uh, thank you so much for... Uh, for having me. It's always a pleasure. Death Without Dignity. Download it or get it in paperback and also pick up his new works of fiction, which are absolutely irresistible. Thanks again, Stephen Long. Next week on the show, The Return of the Man Who Wasn't Here. <laughs> How's that for a title? The Return of the Man Who Wasn't Here. Rick Talley. Rick Talley, Harlem drug, drug dealer who got confused and called it at 11 a.m., wondering why we didn't answer the phone. But he knows the correct time now. He'll be on next week. And then we got Tony Thompson after that calling in from the U.K. We got Paul Bishop coming back. We've got a great lineup of guests. So, If you want something done and done well, you want a woman. Why? Because women have powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. You think I'm kidding? Take a look at life, history, civilization. Women are endowed with such incredible insight, perception, and sensitivity that when these talents are developed and empowered through education and opportunity, women can accomplish anything. And when it comes to spiritual matters, it's been said that women are the very soul of humanity. The Baha'i Faith, dedicated to fostering the advancement of women as an integral element to the advancement of civilization itself, right now, more than ever, needs women. Women who are active, dedicated, outspoken, and strong-willed. If that's you, or could be you, call us. We want you. We need you. 
We love you, the Baha'i Faith. Oh uh-huh.